Well, welcome back to the Walk as Jesus Walk podcast series. And in today's message, we're going to focus on what it means to be sanctified. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 21 says, So if anyone cleanses himself of what is unfit, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, and prepared for every good work. So when you really look at that, that verse, there's a few things in there that give us a great clue to what sanctification is. So, so if anyone cleanses himself of what is unfit, so that means that there are things that are there that may not fit, that don't fit. So what is it that fits is what we we need to live by, and what is unfit or doesn't fit needs to be cleansed from our lives. And if that person does, it says, he will be a vessel, which is an implement uh, or a utensil, something that is used for honor. And then it says that that person will be sanctified, useful to the master who is God, and then prepare for him for every good work that he seeks to do. So before we actually begin and go any further, what is it that you think it means to be sanctified? Now, already everyone listening was running some script in their minds based on what they believe the word sanctified means, or sanctification, or to be sanctified. Now, there's a lot of surface definitions all over the place out there um, that kind of tell you what sanctification means. Uh, some of them believe it's like a step program, that it's uh, some way that you start from one place and end in another, and it's a process that you're going through. And some of them just get it wrong altogether. And many of them just miss the mark to define sanctification. Well, in this podcast, we're going to look at sanctification based on scripture and not based on assumption or based on um, some sermon teaching that has happened for who knows how long. Uh, the Greek word for sanctification is agiasmos. Now, agiasmos means holiness. So to sanctify, therefore, it means to make holy. And we know that God is holy. He's separate and he's distinct from all others. There's no one like God. No human, no thing that can touch God's essential nature, which is holiness. Yet God himself calls human beings to be holy. And there are many who look at this from a religious standpoint or a naive standpoint, and they think, oh, all of us have to be holy. So therefore, we have to try to live a holy life. But that's not what it's saying here. That God wants us to be holy because he is holy. God himself calls us to be holy. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, it says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. That means that we live our lives in holiness, that the way we practice the way we're living, we practice in holiness, living a righteous life. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. That's what God said. Now, sanctification is in fact God's will for those who are in Christ, those who are truly 
called according to his purpose, those who have surrendered their lives and who live for him each and every day. Now, if we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 8, it says, For it is God's will that you should be holy. You should abstain from sexual immorality. Each of you must know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, to honor God as a, a honorable vessel, not in lustful passions like the Gentiles who do not know God, not like those who are outside of Christ, like the many in this world. And no one should ever violate or exploit his brother in this regard, because the Lord will avenge all such acts, as we have already told you and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but to holiness. So Paul's writing here to the believers in Thessalonica saying, he hasn't called you to live an impure life. He's called you to live a holy life. They must be opposite or opposed to one another. Anyone then who rejects this command does not reject man, but God, the very one who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now, the term sanctification is related to the word saint, as both words have to do with holiness. So to sanctify, that would be uh, to be sanctified, you have to, to look and find out what it means to sanctify. To sanctify something is to set it apart for special use. So keep that in mind because that builds the foundation of how it, what, what defines to be sanctified is that to sanctify is something that is set apart for a special use. So to sanctify a person who is in Christ is that that person is going to live a sanctified life to be holy. The generic meaning of sanctification is the state of proper functioning. That's very theological or very scientific the state of proper functioning. What does that mean? That means that whatever it was designed for, it was properly doing. That's the state of proper functioning. So to sanctify someone or something is to set that person or that thing apart for the use intended by its designer. Now, we're innovative people, and we use lots of different things for what they weren't necessarily intended for. That's just the way we are. For instance, uh, a knife is sanctified when it's used to cut because it was, it was designed for that purpose, for that function, to cut. So when we use it as a screwdriver, it's not sanctified. It's not what it's used for. But if we grab a screwdriver to tighten or loosen a screw, once again, then that tool is sanctified because it's being used for what it was intended for. But if we take that screwdriver to punch holes in the wall, then it's not being used for what it was designed for. Therefore, in Christ, things are sanctified when they are used for the purpose that God intends, period. Thus, true disciples of Christ are sanctified when they live according to God's design and purpose and not according to what they imagine is his design or purpose, or not what they want to live by as designed or purposed by denominations, by doctrines, by many things out there. But no, it's by God's design 
and fuck this. God told Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So God already knew him ahead of time. And before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And guess what? Jeremiah was sanctified because he was just that, appointed for that position of being a prophet to the nations, and he was a prophet to the nations. Jesus, he said this about John the Baptist, this is the one whom it is written, behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, meaning John, who will prepare your way and you, meaning Jesus. So think about John's life. He was set apart to be a messenger ahead of Jesus, and he was prepared to be that, to pave the way for Jesus. And he was sanctified in doing so. Two beautiful examples of true sanctification. Now, Jesus gives us still a greater example. He says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. No, that's not why he came. That wasn't his sanctified life. His sanctified life or his design and purpose according to God's will was what? But to save the world through him, Jesus said, to save the world through him. That's in John chapter 3, verse 17. And so in John chapter 6, verse 38, it says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. So we who follow Jesus, we're not here to do our own will. We're not here to do what we think God wants us to do. But we're here to allow the Spirit to lead us into what His will is in our lives. That is sanctification. The Apostle John, he wrote in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5-9, through 9, And this is the message that we have heard from him and announced to you, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Now, if we say that we have fellowship with him, and many do, they claim this, you know, they're constantly, they go to church on Sunday, they read their Bible, they, they pray to sinner's prayer, uh, they were baptized, they do all the things that the uh, institutionalized church tells them to do. And they say, yes, I have fellowship with him. But yet, if they walk in darkness, they lie and do not practice the truth. Now, many people live an outwardly uh, good life. Others see it. They really strive to do things that are pleasing to God and definitely do things that are pleasing to others because they gain personal gratification from that. But just doing that doesn't make you a child of God. Just doing that makes you a person who looks good on the outside and strives to do good things for other people. But it goes on to say in 1 John, if we walk in the light, following and walking like Jesus, as he is in the light, then what's the, the end product? We have fellowship with one another. That's koinonia. That's us sharing deep, deep spiritual lives with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, then will cleanse us from all sin. Now, Jesus will cleanse us from sin continuously. If you've sinned today and you seek Jesus with all of your heart, he will forgive you of all unrighteousness if your heart 
is truly in the right play. But what most people do is they say they have no sin. Well, no, I went to the altar and I prayed the sinner's prayer and God's forgiven me and I'm good to go. I'm going to heaven. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, which is that that is unfit, things that don't fit, to help us to be sanctified. So if we want to be sanctified, we must confess our sins and know that he's faithful to forgive us. In Romans chapter 6, verse 12 through 14, it tells us, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you will obey its desires. Now, sin seeks to reign in our mortal bodies. It it tends to draw on us and, and presents desires, desires of the flesh, desires in this world. And it says, therefore, do not let sin reign. And that means be master of your life so that you don't obey its desires. Do not present the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but instead present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and present the parts of your body to him as instruments, as vessels of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you're not under the law, but under grace. But many who are part of the religious Christian movement in this world are under the law. They live a life of, I've got to be obedient. I can't be disobedient. They're trying to follow rules. They're trying to follow what the organization tells them that they have to do. But where's Christ in all of this? Sin shall not be your master, so you must seek Christ first. Seek him. He is the only way. He is the only truth, and he offers the only true eternal life. So we live by grace. That's grace is that by faith, we follow him. We don't have to see him. We don't have to hear his voice audibly. We follow him each day by faith. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24, Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica, he says to abstain from every form of evil. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Remember, what sanctification is, is having only the things that are fit, not the things that are unfit or don't fit in a life of righteousness. So it's God himself who helps to make us righteous, completely righteous. And he goes on, he says, and may your entire spirit, soul, and body, that's all of you, be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how do we keep blameless? Well, we keep blameless uh, because we're seeking God for, we confess our sins and we're seeking forgiveness. We seek to practice righteousness. On the contrary, many people say they want forgiveness, but they seek to practice sin and then they ask for forgiveness. By the, the age-old expression, it's better, ask, better to go ahead and ask for forgiveness than to ask for permission 
Well, the same thing goes with sin. They have the same mentality. It's better to just do it and then go ahead and ask for forgiveness later. This is not Christ's way. This is the way of the world. But it goes on to say that the one who calls you, meaning the Lord, he's faithful and he will do it. He will help keep you blameless if your heart's in the right place. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, we read, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him. But many people think, oh, that means I need to become a Bible scholar. I need to memorize the Bible. I need to have all the scriptures in my head. But no, through the knowledge of him, through Jesus, who called us by his own glory and excellence. What did he call us by? His glory and his excellence. Through these, his glory and his excellence, he has given us his precious and magnificent promises, so that through them, his glory and his excellence, you may become partakers of the divine nature, a new creation. Now that you have escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires, but so many don't. You cannot serve two masters, Jesus said, because you'll love the one and hate the other. And he goes on. And so we can't serve two masters. You cannot serve this world and Christ at the same time. So the things that are unfit are the things that we practice from our evil desires in this world. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 12. Paul wrote to Timothy, and this was his, his um, one of his last letters that he wrote uh, before he actually um, became a martyr. And he said, of course, godliness with contentment is great gain. What does that mean? Godliness that we can gain through Christ, living a righteous, sanctified life. We should be content because if we are, we have great gain. But people aren't content. It goes on to say, for we brought nothing into the world, so we cannot carry anything out of this world. We know that. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. Be content with what God provides for you. Those who want to be rich, and it doesn't have to be rich in the sense I'm filthy rich. Those who want and desire the things of this world, however, they fall into temptation and they become ensnared by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, the love of the things in this world is the root of all kinds of evil. By craving the things of this world, some have even wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. If you remember the parable of the sower, uh, Jesus said that the third seeds that fell among the thorns and thistles, that they were living a life, a fruitful life for Christ. But then all of a sudden, the worries of this world and the desires of what this world has to offer choked out the word. And when it did, they departed from it because it says that they no longer bore fruit. Now, is that important that we bear fruit? It's, it's essential. It's what God desires of us. That is being sanctified. So it goes on and it says, 
by craving these things, many have wandered away. But you, O man of God, flee from these things and pursue righteousness, sanctification, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made that good confession before many witnesses. Because if you don't, well, it, it might not be there. Like those in the thorns and the thistles of the uh, sower. So in Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are God's workmanship. He is the potter. We are the clay. Created, what? In Christ Jesus to do good works. Well, what are good works? Well, those are the things that God set us apart for. Whatever we are sanctified for. What is our purpose? Only God knows. And these things, it says, which God prepared in advance as our way of life. So a lot of people wonder, how am I supposed to live for God? Well, it says it right here. For we are God's workmanship. His created in Christ Jesus to do good works, to allow him to use us however he sees fit, which God prepared these things in advance as our way of life. So just as Jeremiah and just as uh, John the Baptist and just as all those before us lived a sanctified life, that's what we're called to do. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verses one to four, I am the true vine and my father is the keeper of the vineyard. Guess what? If you're in Christ, you're in the vineyard. And if you're not in Christ, he'll take you out of the vineyard. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Is it important we bear fruit? <laughs> the Father will cut you off. And every branch that does bear fruit, well, he prunes it to make it even more fruitful. That is sanctification. He's pruning us to get rid of the things that are unfit so we remain deeply rooted into the vine. He goes on to say, you are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. But then Jesus says these three words, remain in me. Well, he wouldn't say that unless there are those who do not remain in him. And I will be in you just as no branch can bear fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. The Apostle John, he wrote in 1 John chapter 2, verses 24 through 29, As for you, let what you have heard from the beginning remain in you. Now, once again, if he says, if you remain in me, I will remain in you. What if we don't remain in him? Well, Jesus told us many different ways in parables that those who no longer bear fruit, those who are withered branches will be cut off and thrown into the lake of fire. We even know that there were branches that bore fruit and then became unfruitful and were cut away. So if he tells us that neither can we bear fruit unless you remain in me, then what John's writing here, let what you have heard from the beginning, what is that? That is that we can have eternal life in Christ. That's the gospel. And that we need to remain in him. So have that remain in us. And then he says the big word, if it does, but it might not. If it does, you will also remain in the Son 
from the Father. For if you're worried about remaining in Christ, don't worry about it. If you remain in him, he will remain in you. And this is the promise that he himself made to us, if we remain in him, eternal life. Now, I have written these things to you, Paul, or John said, I've written these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. There are many out there who are wolves in sheep's clothing and trying to deceive people, but we must remain in Christ. We can't live in this world. You cannot serve two masters. And as for you, John says, the anointing, the Holy Spirit that you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. This is contrary to what you'll find in church talk. Oh, you got to have somebody to teach you. If you let the Holy Spirit, the anointing that you receive from him, if it remains in you, you don't need anyone to teach you. Because the Spirit will teach you. It says, but just as his true and genuine anointing teaches you about all things, everything, so you remain in him as you have been taught. And now, little children, he says again, remain in Christ, so that when he appears, he may be confident that we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Now, if you know that he is righteous, you also know that everyone who practices righteousness and not practices worldliness or sinfulness, anyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Thus, in closing, we who are in Christ, we must be sanctified. We must be used according to his purpose and how he designed us. If we hope to survive in the kingdom of heaven, we surely need to be sanctified. We need to practice righteousness. Just as it says in 2 Timothy chapter 2.21, so if anyone cleanses himself of what is unfit, that does not fit, he will be a vessel or a tool or an instrument for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, our Lord, and prepared for every good work that he has designed. Now, if we are indeed sanctified, know this, that we will be walking as Jesus walked.